This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNXRadio.com studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. Doctors and scientists have talked a lot about the variants we're dealing with. Researchers at UC San Francisco tracking the California variant. Maybe you'd expect a dominant here in California. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They say it spreads more easily and evades antibodies generated by the vaccines. So how worried should we be? I mean, if you think about it, you wouldn't have a variant in California called the New Jersey variant. Right. Right, yeah, because that wouldn't make any sense. Mm-mm, not allowed. No. Uh, by the way, it seems the wealthy, this is going to absolutely shock some of you, the wealthy have found a way to game the system and get a COVID vaccine before everybody else. Wow. They tend to do that, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they do. Researchers having trouble finding monkeys. There's a shortage of research monkeys, and the scientists say that is a big problem. I guess they can't just put an ad out saying, you know, for monkeys. <laughs> Craigslist. <laughs> yeah. And now there's a lot of older people across the country vaccinated. They are now planning trips and long vacations. We start with the California variant and the other variants. Peter Chin Hong, infectious disease specialist at UC San Francisco. So, doctor, do you agree, while we all need to watch these variants, the vaccines, they're capable at least of keeping people out of the hospital. So maybe we temper our fears a little bit. As a general statement, yes. And also the other general statement is the variant needs replication to really reap havoc. So if there aren't enough people with COVID, period, we aren't going to get a problem with variants. So the lesson is keep protecting yourself the way you've been protecting yourself. Get the vaccine when you can, because, you know, even if you get sick, maybe you're down for a few days because of this, because the effectiveness isn't the same. You're very unlikely to wind up in the hospital. You're very, very unlikely to die, even with the variants that we have and these vaccines. That's kind of the story so far. Yes, exactly. I mean, what I do know is that our general protections work against the variants, uh, meaning masks work still, social distance generally work. They're not, you know, uh, super Olympian type, you know, jumpers. So they'll jump (laughs) and spread through like, you know, like a laser beam. But, um, you know, when I think about when I talk to people about it, I just think we need to be protected exclamation point. Let's focus for a little bit on this uh, California variant. And, you know, when we hear about it, I, I'm, I guess I'm thinking of a virus that's wearing shades and flip flops. But but what does a California variant do that other ones don't? Well, the California variant is, you know, if you wanted to pick a variant that people know about the most, I think it's probably most likely like the UK, UK variant, me, meaning that it's more transmissible. Uh, it possibly causes more serious disease if you get it. But uh, it's probably not as transmissible or in the same vein, even as the UK variants, but it's probably most similar. I don't think it's going to be like the feared, uh, you know, Brazilian variant or the South African variant, meaning that vaccines will likely still work, is my gut's feeling uh, in the same way. So that's the way I put it. But it's interesting because as opposed to the UK variant, when it sets up shop, it kind of takes over the territory. It's strange that the California variant has stayed in California. I mean, sure, you've, we found it in 45 other states, four countries, but it's not really taken off in the same way that well, you would have expected I mean, it to. I mean, doctor, have you seen the weather in the rest of the country? <laughs> what virus would want to go out it of California? Exactly. I know. Plus, your, your California variant is wearing shades and flip-flops. Like exactly. Exactly. <laughs> 
All right, uh, Dr. Peter Chinhong, infectious disease specialist at UC San Francisco. See, other people are coming here. Yeah. We're just not leaving. <laughs> right. So we're not taking our variant with us. The Los Angeles Times reporting that a program in California meant to improve COVID-19 vaccine availability to people in communities of color is being misused by people who are grabbing appointments reserved for residents of those areas. The program relies on special access codes that let people make appointments on the My Turn Vaccine scheduling website. And somehow people who aren't supposed to have the codes are getting the codes. Dr. Arthur Kaplan, founding head of the Division of Medical Ethics, NYU's School of Medicine. So, doctor, how can we stop this kind of stuff? It's tough to stop. Tough to stop. Um, Part of the problem, though, is we're not making it easy for the elderly and the poor, some of whom don't have Internet, so they can't really access anything that comes down that route. Some of them are confused or not, uh, you know, really at the cutting edge of Internet usage uh, when they're uh, particularly old and might have, you know, sensory deprivation issues and so on. So I think you got to give those folks a path where you send somebody out and bring them in to get their appointment, help them, send an aide, send somebody, not just rely on the Internet. And uh, the rich are going to do better than the poor just on Internet access alone. Then finding out that they're going to swipe codes and circulate them around, it's despicable because those folks are not at the greatest risk and they're stealing from people who could die. But nonetheless, no, I'm not shocked. Yeah, I mean, you read some of the the quotes about this, and and most of them are to the line that that we've been just talking about, that someone's going to find a way because they're going to find a way and then they're going to to take the appointment. Uh, And then others are saying, you know what, my friend just forwarded me this. And it was kind of like a game of telephone. I heard about it, and they said, oh, you know, go try this. I got this thing. I don't know where it came (laughs) from. So maybe either that's a lie, or maybe some people actually are getting this. And you know what? I guess you can't blame them for that instance, because if someone was to text me a code and say, this is going to get you a shot, maybe you go, oh, well, okay, it's going into an arm, and every arm is good. Yeah, look, uh, I do believe in the principle that we never throw vaccine away. If we're stuck in a situation where you have leftovers, people don't show up, you get a lot of refusals for some reason at some vaccine location, okay, use it, get it in an arm. But you get a mystery code out of the blue, you can be pretty sure that isn't coming, you know, sort of from divine intervention. Someone slipping that code around because they stole it or captured it from another person or another group. By the way, scammers are going to start using this too, so beware you could start to wind up going somewhere or be told if you pay a fee, you're going to be able to get access. Give us all your information. Yeah, I'm waiting for the Social Security guys from Nigeria to start circulating codes in a few hours. So, you know, we've got to be wary of that. But let's come back to the basic idea. The rich do do better. We've seen politicians also hustle up to the front of the line claiming that they're going to get trust on the part of the public, whereas they vaccinate their families and their staffs. America should not put up with cheating, lying, and shoving to the head of the line. And a lot of these guidelines don't carry penalties, right? There's no stated penalty, like you're going to get fined, or if you do this and we catch you, you're going to the back of the line. Maybe it's a good idea if we throw some penalties in there along with the rules. All right, so so in the interest of fairness, let me take the side now of the wealthy. So, uh, so here's my argument, doctor. Uh, I get to get incredible medical care because I've got really Mm -hmm. deluxe, super health insurance. I get to uh, pay 
$10,000 a year for the privilege of calling my doctor 24-7, and they'll come to my house in a snowstorm if necessary because I'm paying the big bucks. If right, I try need... 50, but I get okay, your point. Right, yeah. okay. <laughs> it's gone up, huh? If I need, you know, a, a, an organ transplant, say, I don't know, a kidney, I'm going to find some way through connections to jump that line and get that. So why shouldn't I expect as my right uh, to jump to the head of the line to get a vaccine. Why not? Well, basically for a couple of reasons. First, we're in the middle of a pandemic with infectious disease. What you're doing is taking something away from others who are at much greater risk, and you're putting yourself at more risk because you're not protecting people who, in a way, you know, can't protect themselves. They might be wandering around. They might be your doctor, your ambulance responder, your restaurant person, your chef, you're going to get exposed if they're not vaccinated or they're not going to be there when you need them if you wind up needing an ambulance or something like that. So, you know, think longer term, not just short term. The other reason it stinks to high heaven when you uh, start to exercise your money in a healthcare setting is you're really basically saying, I don't care about anybody else. I'm selfishly going to buy my way to the front. That might be okay with beachfront property. That might be okay in terms of who's going to get a nice car or sit in first class in an airplane. I don't think it's the right ethic for healthcare. Dr. Arthur Kaplan, founding head of the Division of Medical Ethics, NYU's School of Medicine. So there, so we, a rich we, person. We've, we've covered all their bases. That's right. We, we've, been, we've been fair. Equal sides. Monkeys can't live with them, can't live without them. Researchers rely on them for medical research. It's because their DNA is close to ours, especially my family. But the pandemic is creating... (laughs) That's true. Uh, But the pandemic is creating a shortage of these monkeys because it's creating unprecedented demand. Dr. Skip Brom, Associate Director and Chief Veterinary Medical Officer, Tulane National Primates Research Center with us. Also, Keith Reeves, Principal Investigator at the Center for Virology and Vaccine Research at Harvard Medical School. So, Dr. Brom, let's start with you. What do we mean when we say there's a shortage of monkeys? As you mentioned, uh, non-human primates or monkeys are are really important uh, research models because of their close similarity uh, physiologically, anatomically, uh, in the way uh, their body systems respond. Uh, They're very closely associated or or are very good models for the study of human disease. Uh, And so uh, non-human primates require very specific and specialized resources uh, to maintain them, to breed them, to produce them. And those resources, you know, cost a lot of money and it takes a lot of space and specific expertise. And that's only available at a few uh, centers in the United States. Uh, And so uh, many research scientists want to use non-human primates in their research. uh, And there aren't typically enough to, for for everybody uh, to use. And when we have a pandemic uh, such is this or other uh, public health crisis, it puts in uh, even more of a burden on that limited supply and expertise that we have. It, Keith Reeves, it is, is part of the problem that uh, I was reading this morning that, that a lot of these research monkeys we used to get anyway from China. So has that become a problem in terms of supply? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so I, I think, you know, sort of the big shortages, you know, Skip was referring to that we face now is is really kind of coalescing of, of a perfect storm because, you know, prior to, to any of this, the supply of non-human primates was already thin. And, and then sort of you had this stopping of, of exports, you know, from China, which were providing, 
you know, 60% plus of the NHPs that were used for biomedical research in the United States. And then, of course, we have, you know, COVID hitting, which, which of course, was unexpected. But you have this massive, uh, our massive surge in need. And I think that all of those things, obviously, you know, the, the ban on exports from China, but all of these coalescing together has really pushed this to a, a critical point. Uh, because again, as as you know, Skip uh, mentioned, you know, it takes years to to breed and raise these animals, so it's it's not something that you can fix quickly. But I think it's that's a huge part of it. Uh, but it's really sort of all of these things coming in uh, all at one time that have hit us so hard. Well, yeah, and it's not just like okay, we almost had a problem because we were trying to develop the vaccines and and we had a shortage of of you know monkeys, but now it's we're still trying to develop vaccines because we've got uh, things that need to be tested because we've got variants we're dealing with that kind of thing. This is an ongoing need absolutely absolutely it, it's it's a moving target you know for how many we're going to need and for what we're going to need them for and they've been sort of reallocated away you know from other you know uh you know biomedical research hiv vaccines other vaccines um you know cancer immunotherapeutics all sort of things that you can think of you know that that this extra demand you know from covid and the other shortages is is really hurting those research programs as well Skip, to what degree have, if any, uh, have animal rights experts played in uh, the difficulty in now getting research monkeys for medical research? Well, they, you know, animal rights uh, extremists have um, have have caused issues with the transportation of animals, imported animals. Uh, and and that is one that that is a, a main factor in uh, in the difficulty in getting animals imported, even in times uh, where there aren't pandemics. Uh, and, and so that you know that's the reason why we're proposing to expand the domestic breeding in the United States. And, and the NIH currently supports uh, domestic breeding of non-human primates at the National Primate Research Centers and other primate resources. And these these animals are very well characterized. And by that I mean we know their disease status, we know their behavioral health. We know about the extraordinary care that they receive from veterinarians and, and uh, veterinary technicians. Uh, and, and those are the things we don't know about imported animals. So uh, if, if we expand the domestic breeding so that it, it, it can uh, provide for the demand of, of the, the ongoing research, plus provides a, a buffer for these times when the next pandemic comes. And, and as, uh, as Keith said, you know, it, w- it was just a matter of time. We, we all expected the next pandemic. Uh, in fact, it was overdue. We expected it to be flu. It just happened to be coronavirus, but there'll be another one. And so in order to prepare for that, uh, we need to expand uh, the domestic breeding for all those reasons. We, we've got, you know, we, we know the background of the animals that makes them better research subjects. We don't have the issues with transportation from countries or changes in uh, in infrastructure or or governments in other countries where we're currently uh, uh, importing animals from. We need a primate stockpile. Dr. Skip Brom, Associate Director, Chief Veterinary Medical Officer, Tulane National Primate Research Center. Keith Reeves at the Center for Virology and Vaccine Research at uh, Harvard Medical. Coming up after this short break, Grandma and Grandpa enjoying spring break while you're stuck at <laughs> home. COVID-19 has hit older people harder than any other group. Many of them were too afraid to leave their homes, even for groceries. But things are changing now. Yeah, people are getting vaccinated slowly but surely. Because of that, they're planning trips, lots and lots of trips. Jeff Hoyt, editor-in-chief of SeniorLiving.org, provides free resources for seniors and caregivers. So, Jeff, they have their second shots, and they're already booking flights. 
Well, it's it's sort of complicated because of CDC rules and international rules. I know Hawaii is very big. Hawaii, being a island state, was able to set up some protocols, and the protocols there have changed a few times, and they even vary island to island. But uh, people are going there because they feel like the hospitals there can not only handle uh, the COVID situation, but that God forbid if they come down with something else non-COVID related that they can be treated in a local hospital there. So it's sort of a exotic getaway, but you're still in the United States. You're not worried about if you can't get back to the U.S. Uh, if you happen to get stuck in a foreign country when the rules change. We uh, we had so, long been thinking that Hawaii might be the, the go-to spot, especially for people in California, right? Because it's the next state over. You just take the flight over the ocean. Or if you're just going to stay in state, I, I know some people planning trips because they have their vaccine second dose they just got. So in a few weeks, they're already thinking, okay, Santa Barbara, or I'm going to get out to Palm Springs or something. They just You want to go someplace. Anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. That's your house. Absolutely. Um, after the Tiger Woods incident, it's a little scary to talk about car travel being the safest, but you do meet fewer people along the way. I'd imagine uh, I have friends out in the desert who are, you know, going back and forth as much as they can. They actually bought a place uh, uh, in Palm Springs this year just so they'd have somewhere to get to to get away. But, you know, you're, so, but you were mentioning, oops. Jeff, you were mentioning that that uh, surprisingly, I guess, because, you know, we know that there have been uh, in the past COVID outbreaks on cruise ships, and yet uh, seniors are going toward cruise ships. Do they have to prove, though, that they're vaccinated because what happens if you have some of the passengers who are vaccinated senior citizens and some perhaps for whatever reasons have not yet been vaccinated? That is an excellent question. The rules are really up in the air. The rules may also differ if you're going on the cruise, but you never leave the ship versus what countries you could visit. Obviously quarantining is not an option when you're doing an overnight stay in a country. Um, So, uh, I do know that not only are the bookings um, much stronger than they expected, but they're actually uh, Royal Caribbean is charging uh, their average price is higher than it was in 2019. So they're seeing surprisingly strong demand. As far as the rules go, I know that airlines have been struggling with this whole vaccine passport and uh, coming up with some sort of ID card that says either you're vaccinated or you just had a negative test within a certain time frame. But as far as I know, there's nothing that's solidified. And a lot of these cruise ships are not based in the U.S. for uh, certain economic reasons. So the rules that apply there may not have anything to do with the CDC rules here. Yeah, yeah I was going to say most of the rules center around testing because vaccines are still new for a lot of us. And it's going to take the rest of us a long time to get vaccinated. So I guess that's what they 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 hang their hat on is is the negative tests. And you just hope that, you know, you've got your vaccine, you want to travel, you don't get flagged by a positive because you've got it in your system, even if you're not feeling it. They're worried about transmission still. So just, you know. Quarantine yourself for a, for a week, and then make sure you you get on your flight just fine, and then you're off to vacation, I guess. Mm-hmm. And no one really knows with a senior who's had both shots and has waited two or three weeks after the last shot, and they're cleared, or as their immune system is as strong as it's ever going to get in terms of COVID nineteen. No one knows whether they're really capable of transmitting it to somebody else as well. So that's yet to be determined. So I think that's another reason why people might choose somewhere like Hawaii than 
you know, spreading sure. uh, a disease through the third world country. Too, yeah. you, you, you know, you mentioned prices going up, and I think that might surprise some people because there was speculation not that long ago that because the travel industry has basically been shut down because of the pandemic, that as a way to entice people back, maybe prices would come down, but they're going up? As as I said, I was surprised when I saw our Royal Caribbean group said that their prices for 21 and 22 that the prices are higher on average than they were in 2019. So there must be some strong demand coming in. And uh, a lot of seniors are among that demand. When we're talking airfare, the airlines are still being pretty good, right, at cancellations and changes if you need to. I know some people who have vouchers and they know they're going to expire soon because they got the voucher when the pandemic started and now it's been a year. So they're just booking trips in the next couple of months knowing that if they have to change, they're not going to get dinged. So they're just picking weekends and going, OK, well, I'll go here or maybe I won't. Maybe I'll push it back another three weeks. It doesn't matter right now. It's funny you mention that because March was the last time I was on a plane and I think some of the airlines I took have a one-year limit and some have a two-year limit. They extended it. But I really have to check because otherwise, like you said, if I'm going to lose it, I may as well book something. My The odds of me being vaccinated in the next couple of weeks are rather slim uh, as I don't meet the age requirement or any of the other requirements. But still, we'll have to investigate that to make sure uh, the money did not just uh, go up in smoke. All right. Jeff Hoyt, Editor-in-Chief, SeniorLiving.org, provides free resources for seniors and caregivers. Yeah, it was, what, second week of February, I think, for me last year was the last time on a plane. Yeah, last time I went somewhere by plane was actually a year ago, December. So it's been a while. It's been a long time. Researchers in Scotland say both the first doses of the Pfizer and AstraZeneca vaccines greatly reduce hospital admissions for COVID-19 among the elderly. Uh, For one of them, it's 85%. For the other, 94%. Either way you look at it, good news. We like it. We're on the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.